So Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The first the name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, and where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Dallium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then, uh, sorry, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. I invite you to turn with me in your book of confessions to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7. I'd like to read paragraph 1 and paragraph 2 this afternoon. We are going to be looking at paragraph 2, but I'd like to, to read paragraph 1 as well, as it reminds us again of the wonder of, of this relationship that God has established in creation. This is found on page 109 in the book of Confessions. And beginning with paragraph 1, this is God's covenant with man. The distance between God and the creature is so great that even though rational creatures are responsible to obey him as their creator, yet they could never experience any enjoyment of him as their blessing and reward except by way of some voluntary condescension on his part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. And here's what we're looking at this afternoon. The first covenant with man was a covenant of works in which life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we consider it this afternoon. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we listen to your word and we learn from the teaching of Scripture the glory of that relationship that was found in paradise. And yet it could be broken, and we know it has been. And we're thankful that you have provided another covenant head, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come to perfectly fulfill the covenant of grace. But now as we consider that original covenant, help us to see again the perversity of man's heart in his sin, which he has committed against you, but also your goodness in establishing this relationship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd just like to momentarily begin uh, with a reflection on uh, the first paragraph, which Following the, the sermon uh, last time on this first paragraph, I realized that there was something missing from that message. Uh, we talked about the relationship that God established with Adam and Eve, and the identity of that relationship is, is that it is a covenant, and it is a covenant in which God condescended. He came down to man, and he was pleased to express that relationship with them uh, so that they could experience, that Adam and Eve could experience Him, the Lord, the God of Scripture, uh, as their enjoyment, as their blessing and reward. Now think about that for a moment, because it's going to, to have a bearing on our understanding of life today and, and life in paradise. And I don't know if you picked up on it. It's not highlighted. Sometimes we're, we're so familiar with this that we, we don't grasp and we don't consider the reflection of this. So God established this relationship at creation, and, and He wanted 
Adam and Eve to experience him. They, they had the responsibility of obeying him just by right of his being their creator. But God wanted something deeper and more profound. He wanted them to experience the enjoyment of him as their blessing and reward. How do we know what was it like for God to condescend to them? Scripture doesn't say extensively, but it does give us hints. And what it is, and, and the glory of this relationship, and the glory of the way that God comes to them, is that he speaks. He gives them his word. We, we find that again. God spoke to them. God said to them. He said, let us make man in our image. God came to them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God came and he took man and he placed him in the garden and God commanded the man. God is coming in his word and how significant that is for our worship. You see, our worship, God deserves our worship just by right of being our creator. But he comes to us in his word and he says, now, now here I want you to enjoy me as your blessing and reward. And God gives us his word, profound reality. This is what he did in paradise. This is what he did with Israel at Mount Sinai. They didn't see his form, but God came to them and they could hear him speaking to them. And he does this in our worship. He wants us to hear him. Faith comes by hearing. And this is the wonder of God's relationship that he wants us to experience him as our blessing and reward. And so he speaks. And now it's important to keep in mind that as we, we come to this next paragraph, in paragraph two, we talk about this first covenant, that the Westminster Confession identifies this first relationship as a covenant of works. A covenant of works. That God's interaction with them is going to give Adam and Eve a responsibility in the garden to fulfill his covenant relationship to fulfill what he says to do what he says as a display of him as their blessing and reward now as we consider that this afternoon i would like us to think about the context the calling and the condition the context the calling and the condition First of all, the context of this covenant. You will notice that as, as Rob was reading through this, that there was never ever any mention of covenant made. And yet we know that it is a covenant relationship. On what basis? Because this is a way that we understand that Scripture expresses God's relationship with man. It starts with Noah and continues through Abraham through Moses, through David, and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so looking back, we, we recognize that all the factors of a covenant are found here. And it's really important that we understand this covenant because ever since the, the book of Genesis was written, when we consider this covenant, this covenant of works that God has established with us, we, we look back on this original relationship as sinners. Because Adam and Eve broke the covenant. And so our consideration of this covenant is, is tainted by the real, reality of our sin. And so there is a struggle with this idea, particularly of works. When we talk about it as the covenant of works, how do you think about work? It's pretty normal. It's part of our sinful condition. 
that when we think about work, we often have in mind the framework of a carrot and a stick. If you work hard, you get the carrot. If you slack off and don't work hard, you get the stick. You're going to get beat. If we reflect on that, our perception of works, that, that working hard gives blessing, not working causes problems, I'm going to call that kind of a, a contractual relationship, that, that we have this approach to work that says this is the way it works, this is the carrot and stick method. And when this first relationship is identified as a covenant of works, we begin to think contractually. That's how we do this naturally because of the entrance of sin. And there are elements that seem like that. There's in this covenant relationship that God has established, there's the promise of life and the threat of death. And again, carrot and stick. Adam and Eve, you do what you're told, you'll get blessing. You don't do what you're told, you're going to get death. And it sounds plausible. And this presents Adam with two paths. There's two options. But the problem with this is that's not what it says about Adam, but what it says about God. What it says about God is it makes God the sort of distant, disconnected, disinterested taskmaster. That he's only there either to, to dangle the carrot to get them to go or to threaten with the stick in case they fall. But remember the context. And that's why we're starting with the context. He delights to share with our first parents this relationship with him. He wants them to enjoy Him as their blessing and reward. And so He comes down to them in the least threatening way, in the most beneficial and good way to, to deal with them and to interact with them. And this is why He gave His Word. This is what's involved in God saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. You have all the produce to enjoy. And God says to them again, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. This is not a contractual relationship. This is the relationship of a, of a, a perfectly created human entity whom God comes down to and says, I don't want us to, to be equal parties here. I'm coming down to your level and I want you to enjoy me as your blessing and reward. And for you to recognize that, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I want you to obey my word because that's your blessing and reward. And to live with me in fellowship. And that was the way you will enjoy him. And that's the wonder of these works. It's not a contractual relationship. It's a covenant relationship in which God has already come down to man. And this, interestingly, is why some object to identifying this initial relationship as a covenant of works. Because it looks like and it sounds like from our sinful perspective that God is placing himself in a contract with Adam and Eve. That these are two equal parties 
who are going to go about their task. God's disinterested. He's distant. He just wants to see them do their work. The trouble is, as we reflect on an understanding of this covenant, I've read a, a number of different ideas about what it could be called, and all of them have liabilities. We could call it of the creation, but, but the reality is it's not a covenant that God establishes with the creatures. He does so with his image bearers. Some regard it as a covenant of life, but then, then we miss the fact that there's also death that is threatened. Some call it a covenant of blessing, where God promises and holds us out. Every term has its liabilities, and so we stick as the Westminster Confession does with the word covenant of work. So think about this. Think about this relationship. And the best way to, to recognize this is to maintain both the second paragraph and the first paragraph. That in the arrangement, it's not a contractual arrangement, but instead God condescends, he comes down, and he wants to bless Adam and Eve in paradise with himself as every as their greatest blessing and their greatest reward and says, now, I'm going to establish this relationship with you and I want you to work and to serve and to enjoy me and to listen to me and to follow me. So secondly, to understand this, we need to recognize that this is their calling. It's a covenant calling, not a contractual calling. It's a covenant calling. They were to heed the Word of God. They were to listen to the Word of God. That's the character of our calling as those who, who grow up under the Gospel. It's to listen to the Word of God and to heed the Word of God, particularly and especially as it relates to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the wonder as God takes Adam and he shows him the whole splendor of paradise, of the Garden of Eden that he has created, that chapter 2 and verses 4 and following are going to remind us of that there's this covenant relationship that God has established. And he says, you may eat, surely, you may surely eat of the tree of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. The danger of the contractual approach is we think that their relationship with God was only directed by what God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the bare minimum way that we often approach contractual work, isn't it? Students. I know you do this. Whether you're in university or in secondary or even in primary, have you asked the question, is this going to be on the test? Because you work to the minimum level. We strive to say, what is it that I have to do to pass? What is it that I have to do to get an A? What is it that I have to do to get university entrance? What is it that I have to do to keep the customer happy? What's the minimal input that I can do to, to make and accomplish by end of the agreement? And often we think that that, that relationship that God had with Adam and Eve was all circling around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the capstone, but there's much more that's involved. God had said so much more 
Adam and Eve's life included included the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was so much more that he had said to them. Consider how comprehensively they were to obey him. Obedience, their obedience, their relationship with God was not based on the bare minimum relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a way to live out the fullness with, of their relationship with God as their greatest blessing and reward in all the creation ordinances. Now, what are those? Let me just cite them and then we'll go through them. There's the command of God about marriage. We didn't read that tonight, but it comes later in chapter 2 after God has created Eve and brought her to man. It says, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is in paradise. Marriage was that institution that God had established at creation for Adam and Eve work or labor, that they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There was the Sabbath, a day of rest, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, when we think about God's relationship, when we think about the context, when we think about their calling, we look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and certainly that was the significant aspect that God had identified, but we forget everything else that God had said to them. But all of these realities were to be a reflection. God brought them together. It wasn't good that man should be alone, and so God made a woman of man's rib. And so that man, when he recognizes this woman, he could sing and celebrate. This is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And God says, you're right. That's the reality of marriage. And I want this sacred. I want this secure. I want this safe. And live together in this relationship in creation. There was the responsibility of work. The creation mandate. We read about this in, in Genesis 1. After God had made man in his image, God gives them this commission. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This is part of our calling. It's the creation mandate that God has given to us. It's our responsibility and work. That work isn't a result of sin. Work is actually part of the blessing that God has given to us in creation. And now imagine this as we, we consider the, the, the reality that God wanted obedience not only with regard to marriage and work, He also wanted obedience with regard to the Sabbath. The way it's written in Genesis is just astounding. Because God has placed them in the Garden of Eden in paradise. He's, he's blessed them and He's given to them this creation mandate and the whole world is there for their opportunity to go out to extend the garden into the rest of creation. And there's so much that they have to engage in. And God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day and as they realized the import and the wonder of their obedience, untainted by sin, they wanted to get stuck into to their calling that they had with God. The very next thing the Lord establishes is a Sabbath. Sabbath. Isn't it beautiful? 
God says, I've got all of this I want you to do. But first, rest and enjoy the creation with me. A creation ordinance that just after God created Adam and Eve in His image, He says, take some time, take a day, and enjoy with Him. And enjoy Him as your blessing and reward. And then, in addition to that, there was the call, their calling, to avoid eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the while, in the midst, it's overflowing with abundance. Every tree of the garden you may surely eat. Not a problem, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat. Do all this, not as a minimum requirement to fulfill on my behalf, but because of the overflowing of your love and your calling as my image bearer in my splendid creation. That's their calling in the covenant of works. Thirdly, what's the condition? This covenant was the promise of life. Life by God life with God for Adam and his posterity for all generations that would follow from him. But the calling also had conditions. It had the condition of perfect and personal obedience. All this could be theirs. Life that was promised to Adam could be theirs upon the condition, the Westminster Confession says, of perfect and personal Obedience. Here again is the danger of a contractual notion. It separates obedience from the God who promises life, from the God who makes the commandment. The character of the contract is that it becomes a path of obedience to the law for the law's sake, rather than as a way to walk in fellowship, the fellowship of love and freedom with the one true God. It pursues the blessing and the reward of the accomplishment rather than the blessing and the reward of enjoying God. Here's the, condition, the character of the condition. It is basically what God deserves. Perfect and personal obedience. God's Word given in paradise calls us to recognize that this was a way to celebrate Him, to enjoy Him, to flourish in Him. And herein, people of God, herein, O covenant people of God, lies the heart of our relationship with God. You see, these works aren't to be, for, to be performed in some contractual, legalistic, law-abiding-only sort of way. They are to be a celebration. We will never understand the place of obedience in the covenant of grace 
in a relationship with God if we don't think differently about this first relationship that God made with Adam and Eve in paradise. Works? Let's call it that. But let's agree together that these aren't works simply to, to ward off the, the, the stick and to achieve the carrot. No. These were ways to enjoy with the Sabbath with their cultural mandate, in their marriage, and to celebrate God as their blessing and reward. Now that has been horribly, horribly squandered by Adam and Eve in paradise. We're going to get into that in the upcoming paragraphs. But at its core is this relationship. We need a covenant head who will offer perfect, and personal obedience as the only way to secure life. That's not simply our requirement. That's God's. That's what it means to live in fellowship with God. That is what Adam failed most miserably in. And for which we need another covenant head. And that's for us to celebrate in the gift of the second Adam, of the last Adam, of the grace-filled Adam, who when the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded most astoundingly. Because in that way, in that way, just a glimmer, just a glimpse of this creation wonder is restored to us. That's why I regret that I missed that in the discussion on the paragraph one, that God condescended. How is that restored under the second Adam and the covenant of grace? We begin to hear and to listen Faith comes by hearing. A faith in a God who desires that we would enjoy Him as our blessing and reward. Now we need to contend with sin, but there will come a day when Christ returns, when all will be restored, and it will be restored in a way that is better than creation because it can't be lost again. And we will begin to enjoy God as our blessing and reward without potential for failure. That's what Christ calls us to. That's what Christ provides for us in the covenant of grace. We have all that to look forward to, even as we look back on God's precious gift of the covenant of works. Amen.